Good morning. Welcome to all the children. It's good to have you in the service with us. I had a mentor who used to say that he always loved when children were in the service because at least you knew somebody was out there because <laughs> you heard the noise. And uh, so it's good to have the children here. Uh, but it is something I, I remember some of my earliest memories growing up playing under the pews. We had pews back then. And uh, just being in church, it's a good thing. So, so we welcome you, and it's good, good to have you here. Uh, as uh, Aaron said, my name's Tim Hampton. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, we've been attending here. Our family's been attending here since 2008. So as of this month, 11 years uh, that we've been part of Grace Community. And uh, it's, it's an exciting place to be. I, I love being part of Grace. I love, love what's going on here and what God's doing. Uh, if you're here for the first time, something Aaron said earlier might have caught your attention, but I want to uh, point you to it, is that we exist to be disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. That's why we're here. And maybe if you've been here for a while, maybe you need to hear that again, that we exist to be disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. That's why we're here, and I love that. And our mission is to share the hope that we have to a dark world, to a hurting world, to, to a world that's drifting or even moving quickly towards meaninglessness and hopelessness. I believe we need that more now than ever. With all the divisiveness and hatred and fear and, and things we see on the news, all the things we're feeding on and, and the tragedies that happened here over the weekend as, as we continue to pray for the people involved. Uh, but it's heartbreaking one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is in John chapter 11, and it's just two words long. Does anybody know what verse that is? It starts with Jesus. Jesus wept. And I think it's one of the most profound verses in the Bible as well uh, to, to be thinking about, that we serve a God who is moved by our suffering. But he doesn't just watch from afar. He doesn't just... Uh, be affected and weep from afar. He enters into the suffering with us. That's the God that we serve. And this morning, we're going to be sharing communion together at the end of our time together, which is a little different. A lot of times we'll do it at the beginning. But I want you to give you some time to think about it a little bit here this morning, uh, that, that this is why we're here. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 22, I want to just share a few thoughts on this now. And then we'll come back to it at the end when we share together in communion with the bread and cup. So Luke chapter 22. So this is the beginning of this. Jesus tells his, they t he tells his disciples to go and make preparations. And he gives them instructions of where to go, who to talk to, what to get together. And they knew what to do because they had done a Passover meal many times before. But he sends them to make the preparations. And then in verse 14 it says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I'll tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus is, is celebrating the Passover meal with his, with his apostles, with his disciples. It's, it's a meal of celebration and commemoration of how God delivered them in the past, how he was working now, how he delivered them from slavery, how he was delivering them now from the rule of Rome, and, and even more, how he would deliver them in the future. It was their New Year's Day. It was their Thanksgiving. It was their Fourth of July, all wrapped up in one. It was a big deal. And he's celebrating it with his people that he loved. And I like this. I like that he says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I love that. Listen how the message puts it. I love that he had such a passion and a desire to be with his disciples. The message says it this way. When it was time, he sat down and all the apostles with him. And he said, you have no idea how much I have looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I enter my time of suffering. It's the last one I'll eat until we eat it together in the kingdom of God. Just love that. Jesus longs to eat with them. He longs to eat and partake with us. It reminds me of the words in Revelation uh, 3.20 where Jesus is revealing to John the, what's going to be coming and, and, and a message to the church. And in, in 3.20, he says, here I am. Or in uh, the King James, it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He longs to eat with us. And I would encourage you, if you are a follower of Christ, that's his desire. He, he wants you to, to welcome him in and to have that time of fellowship with him as we share in communion. If you've not yet met Christ and not yet made that commitment, I want you to listen and, and consider who he is and, and what this is all about. And, and if you are at that place of making that decision, we invite you to join us as well with communion when we come to the end. This morning, I want to encourage you to consider this the parable that, of the great banquet that Jesus tells in, as we're reading that in light of the invitation to share in communion. And I also want to share in communion in light of the parable that we're going to look at. So I want to think of these two things together. And it's appropriate because do you know what a parable is? We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, right? A parable is a short story used to communicate a simple truth. The word parable literally has the idea of putting one thing next to another and to compare them. Compare and contrast, say this is like this or this is not like this. Think parallel. They're parallel to each other and you, and you look to see how they're alike and how they're different. Uh, I, I grew up hearing this. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. There's more to it than meets the eye. It's something to remember. Jesus told stories everywhere he went and people would remember the stories. Some, some got something out of it. Some got it. Some didn't. Some people just heard a story, but other people knew there was more to it, and they listened, and God revealed it to them. Either way, he got people's attention. Now, I, I personally enjoy, I enjoy studying the Word of God. I enjoy preparing. I enjoy reading. I enjoy studying Greek. I enjoy reading commentaries. I'm kind of a geek that way. I, I enjoy that. I like to sit down and really dig in and, and find out what, what do these things mean. And I hope that by God's grace, something that is said here this morning will encourage you that the word, and Isaiah says, the word will not return back empty or void, that it will accomplish. God's word accomplishes what it, what it set out to do. Even if, I, even if I'm terrible, God's word will still do its job. That's the good news. 
But I hope that as we, we do this, that you encounter the living word as we talk about the written word. But even more, I hope to spark an interest in you in the study of the word, to, to read the stories that Jesus told, to, to wrestle with them, to chew on them, to, to be challenged by the things that he taught. We say we follow Jesus, but do we know how Jesus lived? I challenge you to, to take that on yourself and learn how to do that. And three questions I, I want to just share as we're, as we're getting in here that I like to ask when I am studying. And this is what I taught when I was teaching a Bible in a high school level at, at New Life. We would teach that there's three main questions. There's other things we taught too, but three main questions when we're reading a scripture. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? And so what does it say? Sometimes we jump right to application or we don't pay close attention. We think we know what it says, particularly when it's a passage maybe we've heard numerous times. But to slow down and really say, what does this actually say? Sometimes it surprises us. And then what does it mean? Because if we just jump to making application but we don't understand what it means, we might apply something wrong in our lives and it may not be helpful. But ultimately, what does it mean to me is what am I going to do with this? If I don't do anything with it, then it really is just an academic study and that really uh, is not of any great value. So today, we want to look at the great banquet. And we want to first of all look at what does it say. And if you, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 14, we're going to be primarily in Luke. Uh, Luke has an interesting thing. He starts out here, he's going to, we're going to talk about the great banquet. And Luke, I, I read, read a, a comment about Luke, is that he talks about food more than any other gospel. So more of his stories are about food. Uh, he talks about, you know, eating in the grain in the fields. He talks about the road to Emmaus, eating with Jesus. He, I mean, just all of the places he's talking about food. I think that's why he's always been one of my favorite uh, as far as the Gospels. There's something about that. But he's, he's talking about food here. He's talking about sharing together. And I just want to read chapter uh, 14, verse 15 to begin with because it raises the question for me. The, the verse says this, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, the thing that stood out to me is that first line. When one of those at the table heard this, we had to say, heard what? So as we're looking at this, we want to look at what does it say? Well, we better go back and find out what did he hear? What's he responding to? What's he, uh, what's he talking about here? He heard what? So to get the context, we're going to go back just to the beginning of this chapter and read starting with verse 1. So I'll read some of this if you want to just listen. And if anything stands out to you, just make a note of it. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Now, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the seat of least importance. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. 
For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So what's going on here? This is the context. There's a story going on. Jesus is in the home of a prominent Pharisee. It's a Sabbath meal. They they just had time together perhaps at the synagogue. They were into the word and now they're having a meal together. And, And the Pharisees invited him. The Pharisees were kind of the good guys in a way because everybody thought, oh, they're the righteous ones. They're the ones that follow the law. But everybody knew there was more going on with the, the Pharisees than what they let on. And, and they knew they didn't always live up to, to what they said. But the Pharisees thought they were pretty special. And they invited Jesus because they wanted to know him. Everybody was talking about Jesus. And they put him a little bit to a test. We find out that everybody was watching him. So you just read that. Everybody's watching him. So he invites and everybody's got their eyes on him. They're looking to see what he's going to do. And it says that there was a man there who had, in, in the older NIV, it says he had dropsy. I don't know what dropsy is, but it says that he had swelling all over his body. So there was something wrong. He, he was not well. And, and they had this man in front of him because it was the Sabbath. They wanted to see what Jesus was going to do because they had very strict rules about the Sabbath, the things you could do and couldn't do. And, and they, they were watching to see if Jesus was going to break any of their rules. So they're watching him. And he asks them a question. He says, so is it right to heal on the Sabbath or not? And what do they say? Absolutely nothing. They won't reply. So Jesus takes the man and heals him and sends him on his way. And then he tells them that if you, if your son or daughter fell in a, in a hole or a well, or your, even your ox, if your oxen fell in a hole, you would help them out on the Sabbath. Why not heal a whole man on the Sabbath? And then what did they say? Nothing. Silence. They wouldn't even speak a word on the thing that he just revealed to them. So he tells these two stories. He tells these two stories, and the interesting thing was they knew who he was talking about. They were all sitting around the table, and they had all come in, and he saw how they did it. They all tried to get the best seat, uh, and, and they were watch- he was watching them while they were watching him. And so he knew, they knew he was talking about them. And so I want to go a little bit now into what does this story mean, and we want to look at the parable uh, of the great banquet. And I start with this, this term. I just call this first guy the awkward guest. The awkward guest. Because he says this. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who eateth at the feast in the kingdom of God. Well, what was he saying? Well, the first thing I would say is that you can imagine the tension here a little bit. Jesus just told this. Nobody says anything. It's silent. It's a little bit tense. And so he says this, this phrase. So where does this come from? If you turn with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 25 or follow along, uh, this is one deviation from Luke, but this is really what he's talking about. This is in the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was, was known, this is Isaiah 25 verse 6, the prophet Isaiah in particular was known to be preaching and teaching and prophesying about the Messiah that would come and the things that he would do. In fact, it was so accurate, this is interesting, that Isaiah, everybody knew that it was talking about the Messiah. And and you come up to the the late 1900s or the late 1800s, early 1900s, they had these skeptics in Germany that were called uh, the high critics. And they said, oh yes, this is absolutely talking about Jesus. All this is about Jesus. 
But it wasn't written until after Jesus lived and died. That's why it's so accurate. And then in the 1940s, they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls that were hidden away 100 years before Jesus. And all of this was in there saying that this is talking about Jesus. This was talking about the Messiah that was going to come. But listen to this. In verse 6, On the mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest of wines. We just did a, uh, uh, we just judged a barbecue contest. My wife and I get to do this periodically. It's a lot of fun. But the best meats, we had brisket, we had pulled pork, we had uh, chicken, and, and it was done by professionals, and, and it was good. But this is Jesus, or the Messiah is going to put on this banquet. It's going to have the best of the best. And, and he brings all this together with the best wines. And on the mountain, he'll destroy the shroud that enfolds all the people, the darkness, the sheet that covers all the nation. He'll swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So, for 500 years, they were saying, you know, the one who eats at this banquet, he is going to be blessed. Blessed is the one who eats at the banquet in the kingdom of God. And they said it over and over and over again because it was the hope that they had. It was what they were looking forward to while they were in captivity. When the Romans came in and took over, they were looking forward to when the Messiah would come and this banquet would happen. And, and it was this awesome promise that they repeated for centuries. So this awkward guest, he hears all this. Have you ever been in a situation where where somebody, uh, somebody brings up a topic, a taboo topic, and all of a sudden it gets really uncomfortable. You know, you know what I like best about Donald Trump? Or you know what I like best about Joe Biden? Oh boy, now, in fact, probably the tension level went up in the room just now. <laughs> but, but, but that's kind of what it was like, so it was tense. And he says, oh, well, let's change the subject to something people can't argue about. Hey, blessed is the one who eats at the banquet of the kingdom of God. Yet Jesus has something to say about that too. So maybe, maybe he was being a little pious and he was just trying to say something holy. Maybe he was a little arrogant. Maybe he was saying, okay, I'm definitely going to be at that banquet. Maybe he was a little prideful. But I think he was probably trying to change the subject. But the interesting thing was that this was a, this was a phrase that they had been saying for so long that after a while, it probably didn't mean much to them anymore. It was almost like a toast. They said, blessed is the one who eats at the kingdom. Here, here, and let's drink to that. Or it might be like the Redskins fan saying, next year when we're in the Super Bowl. You know, it, it just became a cliche that didn't really mean anything. Uh, but there's this, this thing that he says this, and Jesus says, yeah, about that. There's something you should know. And he goes on to tell them this story. So that's where this story fits in. I don't think he was expecting to hear another story from Jesus, but Jesus goes on from there. Starting in verse 15. Right here. We read this before, but when one of the table heard him, now notice he's at the table, so he's one of the ones that Jesus was talking about. Blessed is the one who eats the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, well, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see. Please excuse me. Another said, well, I've just bought five oxen, five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Another one said, I got married, so I can't make it. 
The servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. They did. Sir, the servant said, We've, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. And then the master told his servants, go to the roads, the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be filled. I tell you that not one of those who were invited will taste my banquet. So he starts the story. He tells the story about an invitation. It's a great invitation. And, and I was thinking about invitations. And, and this time of the year, sometimes you get an envelope like this that actually comes inside another envelope. Did anybody get any of these this year? And, and you start to, this is the wedding season, and, and people start to get these in the mail. It's usually a thick envelope. And inside the envelope's another envelope. And then inside that envelope, there's another envelope that says, please reply, right? And, and they want to reply. And it says, how many people will be attending? And you put the number on there, and you send that back. That was the wedding invitation. This possibly was a wedding banquet that they were referring to. In Matthew, it does refer to it as a wedding banquet. But the invitation was sent out, and these days we would send out something ahead of time that says, save the date. Now, the awkward part of this story, it says, save the date. Well, what's the date? Nobody knows. So just save it. Keep it open. Keep all your time open because the date's coming. And so he sends out the invitation, and everybody says, yes, we'll be there because it's going to be a big deal. It's going to have all the best food, all the best wine, all the best activities, and it's going to be with the Messiah. So everybody wants to be there. So save the dates, and everybody says, yes, I'll be there. Because they thought they were entitled. They thought they deserved to be there, so of course I'll be there. Of course I get invited because I am who I am, and that's what they thought. But then it came time for the banquet. They said, the banquet is ready, the food's ready, it's on, it's hot, it's time to eat, the party's on, let's get started. And the excuses start to come. I call this the excuse fest. That they start to say things like, oh, I just bought some land. And they're all kind of lame excuses when you look at it, right? They bought land. Would the land, so the, the feast in those days sometimes would last two or three days, maybe a week. Would it still be there in a week? Most likely, most land doesn't go very far. Uh, but it was still going to be there. Or I just bought oxen. Okay, well, could you see them in a car? There, there were just kind of lame excuses. Or my favorite, I just got married. Okay, my wife won't let me go, or my, my husband won't let me go. It's just kind of an excuse. They're not really valid. Interestingly, my wife and I kind of joked for years, I don't know where we heard it, but somebody said, would you like to come to this? No, thanks, I don't like broccoli. We weren't talking about broccoli. Now, if I don't want to go, one excuse is as good as another. It really doesn't matter what the excuse is, they're all invalid. Now, interestingly, these excuses that Jesus throws out here, the three, they came from Deuteronomy 20. In Deuteronomy 20, it gives, gives restrictions that if somebody was called to go to war, but they had just gotten married, they had just bought a field or built a house, or they had just bought oxen, they could be excused from going to war. But they weren't being invited to go to war. They were invited to a banquet, and they said, we can't go. And so they throw out these excuses. It was kind of lame. But the, the excuse gets, it kind of reminds me a little bit, like on Facebook today, did you ever get an Evite? where we get electronic invitations and it gets sent to you. And, and on that, it gives you an option of what to choose. And you have choices like maybe or interested. I'm not saying I'm gone. I'm just interested. Or some, some of them you have and you can ignore. Some say I'm not going, which at least that's a clear answer. Or you can say I'm going. But of course, if you say you're going and then you don't go, nope, you know, what are they going to do? Uh, so all these things there, that's kind of how we are today. It's kind of the FOMO, fear of missing out. Yeah, I'll go. 
unless something better comes up, unless I get a better offer. But either way, here's this man. This man puts all this effort into creating this great banquet, the best ever, and he invites all these honored people, and none of them come. If you want to read something interesting or watch some interesting videos, if you you do a search of children with birthday parties where nobody comes, and there's all these stories, and it's kind of sad. Now, some of them turn out with a happy ending, like one was in Arizona, and and nobody came to his birthday party. Everybody said they were coming, nobody came. The Phoenix Suns heard about it, invited him to come to the game, and they honored him and had a whole big party for him. Uh, So sometimes it does have a happy ending. But you can imagine how you'd feel if you were that one who created this party and nobody come. The owner of the house was angry. So he sends them on a mission. He says, okay, go out quickly. We have all this food ready. We have the, the, the calves have been killed. We, we, we have it all on the table. Go now, right away, while the food's still hot, and go into the cities. So it starts in this, this story, he's talking to the Pharisees. And in the, in, the, in the Jewish tradition, you had the Pharisees, which were the most righteous. And then you had the regular Jewish people. And then you had the down and outers. You had people who were crippled or blind or lame. In fact, what they would say is that those people, they probably sinned. That's why they're, they're lame. That's why they're blind. That's why uh, they're poor. And, and, and the, the master says, go find those people. Bring them in. And he doesn't say, just ask them to come. He says, bring them in. Go get them. Help them get here. Bring them in because we're going to fill this house up. And then they, they bring them in and there's still room. He says, okay, we've gone to all the Jewish people. Now I want you to go out of the city. I want you to go into the entire world. And the reason we're here is because the master sent the servants out to everybody, to the highways and the byways. And we're here today because of that. He says, go to those places and compel those people. Tell them what's going on so that they can come in and enjoy the party because my house must be full. I love the passion of the master. I've got to fill up this house. He's going after the people that he loves. I read this quote that seemed appropriate to this. It says, hell is full of people who think they deserve heaven. Heaven is full of people who know they deserve hell. Very profound thought. The invitation was made. Those who thought they were entitled didn't come. In fact, in the end, it says they would not get a single bite. But the ones who weren't entitled, the ones who knew they didn't deserve it, they got to come and celebrate with the master. So what does it mean to me? What's my takeaway? One is that there will be a banquet. Do we realize, do we have any idea what's in store and what what we have to look forward to? Do I really believe? When was the last time you gave any thought to what that will be like? What's heaven like? What will it be like in that celebration? What will the kingdom of heaven be like when we get together for that banquet? Do we give much thought to that? We don't talk about that much. We talk more about what it would be like if I win the Powerball than what will it be like when we come to that banquet. But turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. A couple of my favorite parts of the Bible as it brings it to a crescendo uh, of, of all eternity or all history is brought to a conclusion And it's good news, good news for those who accept the invitation. Verse 6 says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. The angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. 
Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding banquet of the Lamb. Skip over to Revelation 21. It says, then, this is what it will be like. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throat saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the springs of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. It's good news. It's what we have to look forward to. It's what we had to think about. But how much time do we spend even contemplating that? That this is for real. And, and really, everything that we think is real is really just a blip in eternity. It's a shadow of things to come. It's just an approximation of the way things were before sin entered the world and the way things will be when everything is settled at the end. We're living in that time. And we're, it's just a shadow of the things to come, almost the matrix where we're living without realizing what we have to look forward to. Have you heard the saying that some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. They sit and they think about heaven all the time and, and you have people who say that. I like C.S. Lewis's response to that. He says, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they become so ineffective in this world. We're missing it when we don't realize what's to come. It's the restoration of all things. It's the way things were meant to be. God has placed eternity in the hearts of people. Before we became a follower of Christ, we were primarily shaped by our past. We were a sum total of our experiences but looking back, occasionally looking over shoulder to see where, are going, where we're going. When we become a follower of Christ, to repent is to turn and look the other way. And now we're primarily shaped by where we're going and what's going to happen and what's going to take place uh, when all is made right, when all is new. It completely changes our view of life. What an amazing way to live. And what's even more exciting is that I've been invited and you've been invited. And it's based completely on grace. It's not 80-20. I got to come up with 80 and God comes up with 20. It's 100% God's grace that says, by my grace, I'm inviting you to join me in this banquet. However, my response is what's required. My RSVP. I can make an excuse. Because, well, it's taken too long. Or maybe it doesn't sound much, like much fun. I don't want to miss out on other parties. Or I could commit to being there. My son and daughter both got married, and my daughter-in-law and son-in-law both got married in the last two years. When that was planned, I didn't say, well, let me know when it is, and if I'm free, I'll be there. I didn't say, well, if I don't have anything better to do, I'll be there. It didn't matter when it was. I was going to be there. And I believe that's what he's saying here. We have the save the date card, and it says the date to be determined. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Are you in? I'm going to be in whenever it is. 
and it has a plus one and a plus one and a plus one. Who am I going to tell? Who am I going to bring with me? There's no limit to who I can bring. I heard someone say that anyone who would be satisfied if they are the only one in heaven is probably not going. So we're going to wrap up with the bread and cup. And as we do, I want to think about this in light of this, this parable. It's an opportunity for me to respond. It's an opportunity for you to respond. It's a celebration of what was, what is, and what is to come. It's our RSVP. But don't do it unless you mean it. Don't do it because everyone else is. But if you want to, it's a taste of the banquet that is to come. It's what we have to look forward to. Let me pray over it, and then we'll... Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you, Father, for your, your body that was uh, slain and your blood that was shed so that we can have hope, so we can look forward to the future. Lord, that you entered into our suffering so that we might be made new. We praise you and celebrate you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a tradition with uh, Passover meals even today where at the end they'll say, next year in Jerusalem. And it reminds us that we share this together, remembering what's to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your body, for your blood, Lord, that makes us whole. And now may the grace of our Father and the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion of the Holy Spirit, abide upon us now and forever. Amen.